0: Let us pray. So, Father, we do indeed cry, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come into our midst as your people. Come into our lives and our homes. Come into this church. And come afresh in the world with the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone, again. And good morning to everyone watching via the live stream. Again, so glad that you've joined us. Another wonderful weekend here at our church. This past Friday, we had our drive through Living Nativity, the third annual drive through Living Nativity, which is a, one of our major community outreaches. And um. Thank you, first of all, to all of you who worked so hard to make that a wonderful success, both Friday night and in all of the work and preparation leading up to that. We had, I believe it was about 235 cars come through on Friday night in two hours time, a little over two hours time. And most of those cars had at least two or three people in them. So I think we're safe to say we we were able to share the the true story of Christmas, with at least about 750 people through that event. So, thank you all so much for your hard work. And we had a spotlight this year for the first time, and there were Father Jed and I were at the start of <clears throat> things, greeting people and handing out um, programs that explained to people what they were going to be seeing and and mapping out the Christmas story. And several people said to us, "We didn't know anything about this, but we saw the spotlight and came to see what was going on." So. It actually worked very well, and um, lots of folks also brought non-perishable food items to help um, bolster our supply of food that we give away at our monthly food giveaways. So again, thank you all, and please be praying for those who came through the drive through nativity, particularly those who are unchurched, that they would um, avail themselves of an opportunity to come and hear the gospel presented at our church or another church in the community on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning next week. Well, today is the fourth Sunday in Advent, and on this fourth Sunday, we'll take a final look at the prophet Isaiah. We've been focusing on the Old Testament readings from Isaiah appointed in the lectionary each of the four Sundays during Lent. The readings from Isaiah, which we've looked at in the past three weeks, have focused on both Christ's first and second Advent, or his first and second coming. Today's reading from Isaiah chapter 7 is primarily focused on a specific aspect of Christ's first advent, of Christ's first coming, as well as containing a strong condemnation of Ahaz, who was the king of Judah at the time. So we begin by looking at this condemnation of Ahaz, and I've entitled the first point Ahaz's trust or lack of it in verses 10 through 13. Our reading from Isaiah this morning opens with an intriguing interaction between Isaiah, God's prophet, and King Ahaz. Verse 10 begins with these words, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Clearly, this is not the first time. And notice here, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I will come back and and talk a little bit about the significance of that in a few moments. But it's not as if Ahaz, it's not that Ahaz has not heard a voice, excuse me, let me start that over. It's not that Ahaz, in the Lord speaking to him, heard a voice coming out of a cloud in heaven or something like that. Rather, God speaks to Ahaz through his prophet, Isaiah. Legitimate prophets in the Old Testament spoke unequivocally as God's mouthpieces so that the speaking of the prophet and the speaking of God are one and the same thing. To be a false prophet, to claim to speak for the Lord falsely the Old Testament was to incur a sentence of death by stoning. This is what the law prescribed. It was an incredibly serious matter. The Old Testament ministry of the prophet is very different and with an exceedingly higher degree of authoritativeness than New Testament gifts of prophecy as described by St. Paul in his letters. As Isaiah confronts Ahaz, he puts Ahaz to the test. In modern slang, we could say that the time has arrived for Ahaz to either put up or shut up. God, in his great mercy and patience, is speaking to Ahaz yet again. And through Ahaz, God is indeed also speaking to all of Judah, calling them to once again live in loving trust of him. God is calling them back to live in fidelity to the covenant which God has established with them. And the prophet Isaiah challenges Ahaz to give the Lord a chance, an opportunity to prove his trustworthiness. Now, God is calling Ahaz to respond to this through a sign. And this is not a human-initiated sign to somehow test God. Scripture explicitly prohibits that. Instead, the sign spoken of here is a sign which God and his grace is initiating and offering to Ahaz to strengthen Ahaz's trust. Trust and for God to demonstrate his covenant-keeping faithfulness. John Oswald in his commentary on Isaiah in this text puts it this way. Although our faith is not to be in signs, <clears throat> nevertheless God has throughout all ages given his people evidence by which their faith may be strengthened. According to the Scriptures, God has always given such evidence, <clears throat> sometimes in greater or lesser abundance, but he never make asks us to believe without rational foundation. True. The will to believe must come first, but when that will is exercised, there is evidence freely offered. In John chapter 7, Jesus spoke these words, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him, There is no falsehood. God called upon Ahaz to ask God for a sign in this instance, as an aid to build his faith. But instead, Ahaz twists God's truth around, creating kind of a straw man to justify his disobedience and to call that which is actually unrighteous good. Look at verse 12 with me. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Yes, Scripture is very clear that we're not to test the Lord. But Ahaz here had already settled in his heart that he was going to walk in disobedience to God. That's the bottom line. True faith shows itself in obedience. Ahaz's actions and words demonstrate the complete opposite of this. If you have your Bibles out, follow along closely with me here. I'd invite you to take your Bible or take a pew, a Bible from under the pews and turn to these verses. Notice the shifts in the wording. They're subtle in the English but very significant. Between verse 11 and verses 13 and 14. In verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah speaks of the Lord your God. To Ahaz, the Lord, your God, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But after Ahaz's faithless reply in verse 12, Isaiah makes an abrupt shift. In verse 13, Isaiah shifts to speak of my God. And then in verse 14, he says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And notice, Lord, there is capital L, then lowercase O-R-D. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In verse 14, Isaiah no longer speaks with reference to God's personal covenant name. Instead, he says, the Lord himself, Adonai, God himself, in a sense, will give you a sign. You see, if you, in the English, when the personal covenant name of God is used, the name that was unique to God's Old Testament people, the name that they would not even speak aloud, what we know as Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, all caps is used to indicate that that's the word that is being used. But now Isaiah shifts because of Ahaz's lack of belief and lack of fidelity to God, and he starts referring to the Lord, Adonai. The nations all around Israel used the word Adonai at times. They used other names for God, El Elohim, um, Eloheinu, words that we have maybe have heard, Hebrew words, and Israel used those as well, but they referred to God Whereas, LORD in all caps refers to God's personal covenant name that was only known by and revealed to Israel at the giving of the covenant. It was unique to them. And now all of a sudden, Ahaz is being separated from that in Isaiah's words. And the clear implication here with the shift in language is that Ahaz lacks genuine faith. He is not in true living relationship with the one true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the covenant. He has indeed rejected God and God's covenant, despite God's mercy, despite God's loving kindness and patience, despite God's grace in coming to him repeatedly and inviting Ahaz into true, renewed, living covenant relationship with him and he has rejected god and god's deliverance instead leaning on his own understanding ahaz's example is a sober warning to you and me brothers and sisters because far too often we can have our minds made up we know what we're going to do sometimes even if it's in clear disobedience to god We're contrary to the wisdom of God and in opposition to his explicit commands and his will. None of us is totally free from this. And every single one of us, including me, can fall into that so easily if we don't guard our hearts. Yet despite human frailties, despite human fallings, despite human sinfulness, God's ways are always best. Did you hear that? God's ways are always best. And his ways are always right and true. We are confronted every day with this contrast or this tension between God's ways and voices in our culture, often who even might claim to speak for God. And even in the American church, we encounter these kinds of half-truths, or falsehoods. Christian Smith, in his book written in 2005 entitled Soul Searching, coined the term that Father Jed actually spoke about in a sermon earlier this year um, called moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, that's a big term, but it exemplifies a lot of what you hear in American churches, even American churches that claim to speak the truth of the gospel, where the essence of Christianity is about being a good person and loving people, loving your neighbor. That is true, but that is not all. And it goes on to talk about the need to be true to myself because in the end, God wants me to be happy and God wants me to feel good about myself and who I am. And we hear this kind of stuff preached from pulpits all over this country. Not just in so-called progressive churches, but in churches that, that claim to uphold the gospel. And preaching of the gospel degenerates into a self-help, you know, counseling session, group counseling session with a pastor sitting on a stool drinking a cup of coffee. And what we end up having is a gospel and a church that would be unrecognizable to the first Christians very prominent pastor in this country, a few years ago, and and people flocked to him. He still identifies as an evangelical, said that we need to unhitch Christianity from the Old Testament. In other words, we need to negate the Old Testament. And in doing that, we negate more than half of the word of God. We negate the promises of God that we're looking at here in Isaiah even today. And why do they advocate unhitching it? because there might just be something in the Old Testament that doesn't make me feel good about myself. And Christianity of this sort degenerates into nothing but this therapeutic program of human self-help with false benefits. Rather than the true gospel that calls people to repentance and faith and a living life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ and calls us to redemption and life in Christ and calls us then to walk in godliness as the servants of the Most High God who has redeemed us and sent his Son to save us. And when we walk with God in his power and in his redemption, he always gives us the grace and the power to obey what he has commanded us and called us to do, no matter what the world around us might say. And no matter how hard it may seem in the flesh and in the natural. So brothers and sisters, let's not be like Ahaz, who leaned on his own understanding and yielded to the Assyrians. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, very familiar verses to many of us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he, did you hear that? And he, God, will make your paths straight. God's ways are always right and true. God's ways work, no matter what the world may say. Amen? So often, we talk about the judgment of God, but when we look at the kind of things we're talking about right now, God doesn't need to do anything in overt judgment. All he has to do is, is, as we walk in disobedience to him is lift his hand of blessing and protection. And surely the judgment will come because he lets us have our own way and we bring disaster upon ourselves and upon our homes, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, because we ignore God's ways and God's truth. But God does indeed have a remedy, brothers and sisters. Despite Ahaz's lack of true trust and covenant faithfulness, despite Judah being swept away into captivity, despite the physical monarchy being wiped out, God still had his remedy. Because God remained true to his promises. And God still did indeed give a sign. But again, it was a sign that would come to fruition generations later. And remember the eye of the prophet that we've talked about the past two Sundays, last week and the week before, and the idea that when a prophet of God in the Old Testament spoke, he didn't necessarily know what kind of a gap or what kind of expanse of time there was between various phases of the fulfillment of what God had given him. But look at verses 14 through 16 with me. Therefore, the Lord himself will give a sign, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. This is part of God's remedy. The Lord gives a sign of his own choosing. Despite the testings and tribulations of Isaiah's day, to Ahaz this sign was a pledge of doom because of his own stubbornness. But it was a sign of deliverance to his Old Testament people who were true to the promises of the covenants. But not only to them, but to all. Ahaz, a son of David, and David's line may have rejected the covenant, but, but God will indeed keep his promises. He will bring deliverance to all. Did you hear that? To all who trust in him and his covenant-keeping divine provision for life and deliverance. Prophetically, with the eyes of the Spirit, God shows Isaiah the one who is to come, not just in these verses, but in multiple places in this book. And he shows Isaiah that the birth of this deliverer Deliverer will come by an irrefutable, miraculous sign. Back to verse 14 again. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin shall conceive. Absolutely miraculous. We confess this as essential to our faith every Sunday in the words of the Nicene Creed and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Verses 15 through 16 go further in describing his righteous, godly, sinless character. If Ahaz would have simply embraced God's sign and promises, which flow from God's character, he would have had nothing to fear from the Assyrians. But through this child, born of a virgin, in the most humble of settings, God brings himself into human flesh and blood and brings himself to humanity, to you and to me. And through this Son, born of a virgin, he brings ultimate deliverance. In our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 1 this morning, we heard these words proclaimed. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In this last week of Advent, with Christmas and the Christmas season fast approaching, may you and I remember God's sign, his sign given in faithfulness. And may we remember that God is true and that he is faithful. And he is God with us. God who has come among his people in human flesh and blood. And may we remember that God's remedy is still absolutely true for every single one of us and all sufficient that salvation comes through Jesus Christ the eternal Son of God. Life deliverance freedom true joy all are found in him and him alone. And yes God gave this sign of a of a child born of a virgin. But God continues to give signs and we will hear Another sign of God as this son gave his life proclaimed just a little bit later in this service when we hear the words of Jesus. Take, eat. This is my body given for you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this In remembrance of me. Let us pray. Father, we stand in awe and marvel at your faithfulness, your loving kindness, and that you are a covenant keeping God. And on this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we reflect on all of your promises, and the signs of the coming of our Lord fill our hearts with awe and gratefulness. And, Lord, cause us to ponder just what it caused Christ to come for us. Thank you, Lord, that through him we can live in true faithfulness, covenant-keeping faithfulness to you. Despite all of the distractions, despite all of the pull from the world and the darkness around us, we can live in that light, which is your Son, the one who gives light to all people. And Lord, may we not only live in, but shine that light, reflecting his radiance to the world around us. Father, thank you. Thank you that you came to us at just the right time when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And you did it because of your faithfulness and your great love for us and all of humanity. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.